Hi, I'm Brenda Burns, and this is the Vienna Assembly of God Sermons Podcast. Thank you for listening. It's an honor to share this time with you. Learn more about the ministries of Vienna Assembly of God at ViennaAG.com. Please leave your comments and reviews on the platform where you're listening. And now for today's message. So have you noticed a few things going on this week? I think we've mentioned that a few times here. Afghanistan, of course, makes me think of the words from scripture, wars and rumors of war, famine, persecution, the things going on in Haiti, earthquakes in diverse places, the Delta variant, plagues, There have been deaths, the hospitals full all around the country and all around the world. And then there are still other sicknesses still ravaging in addition to COVID. I just learned yesterday uh, that a pastor friend lost his battle with a different illness um, and has passed away this week. Hurricanes so-called 100-year floods. Can it still be a 100-year flood if you've had three in the last 10 years? Uh, Tennessee is wondering about that. Um, Fires. There are all kinds of things going on, and I want to say something to us. We are living in the last days. How many believe that, that we are living in the last days? Now, you may see or hear that phrase, from a variety of sources, especially in light of our current events. And I believe it is true. We are living in the last days. But listen to me here. If Jesus does not return for another thousand years, it will still be true that we are living right now in 2021 in the last days as defined by scripture and by the apostles' teaching. The apostles believed they were living in the last days, as evidenced by Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. He said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And as stated by the author of Hebrews, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Every generation since can rightly say that they are living in the last days. So what does it mean for us to identify with that, to say we're in the last days? Scripturally, it is the time of opportunity for unbelievers to repent and turn to God. And it is the time of responsibility for believers to proclaim the gospel. This is what it means to be in the last days, and it is exciting to live in a time with such promise. Salvation is here, and we still have the message of hope for a lost world. The scripture also teaches this about the last days, that God's people will face difficulty opposition, rejection, persecution, etc. And we can see that that's been true throughout the history of the church. 
But Paul writes this, that the sufferings of this current time are not worthy to be compared to the glory yet to come. One of the main things that we see in Revelation is the call to endure to the end, to hold on, to remain faithful even in the face of suffering. The last days, according to Scripture, began with Christ appearing, his incarnation. The last days, plural, will end, according to Scripture, on the last day, singular. That day is referenced significantly throughout the Old and New Testament, and it is called the Day of the Lord. Jesus made it very clear that we don't know when that day will come, but we are to live with a sense of its imminence, that it is soon, that it could happen any time, even as the apostles themselves proclaimed and the book of Revelation affirms. This belief is, I believe, one of the hardest things to keep a steady hold on. If we begin to insist that the current world events are, that they are the indicators of God's grand timeline, even to the point of narrowing toward a date of Christ's return, we can get off track. Look, even if Jesus does not return in my lifetime, that does not make his promise less sure. (laughs) It is still true. Jesus is coming back, friends. We have to be careful about interpreting biblical prophecy through our experiential lens while also accepting, and I do this with joy and with gladness, that God's word has vital life and truth that speaks to the here and now into our lived experience. So it's a challenge. I think one of the challenges of narrowing God's timeline, in other words, just saying like, I know Jesus is coming this year. Okay, that's an example of narrowing it. We can be tempted into an escapist mindset. Now, what do I mean by that? It's this idea that somehow we're just going to be whisked away out of the challenges and difficulties that the world is facing. There is a promise in Scripture. Yes, it says the Lord will return and will resurrect the dead, and those who are alive and remain will be caught up together. Yes, indeed, the Scripture promises that, but that promise is meant to be a constant energizer to our kingdom living. It is not an escape room to disengage from the world. So Revelation has been interpreted through different schools of thought, as we learned a couple of weeks ago. So the preterist interpretation focuses on the relevance of the book of Revelation to its first readers. 
to things that were happening very near the time of its writing, very much in their location. The futurist interpretation focuses on the yet-to-be-fulfilled aspects of Christ's triumph over evil. N.T. Wright observes that they each have something going for them, but not everything. He goes on to say, one should, in fact, read Revelation with a robust, biblical, theological perspective in mind, ready to engage simultaneously with the concrete historical life of the church in first century Asia Minor and with the challenges posed for God's people by the worldview and world events of our own day. That is what I hope today's message accomplishes. So the oracles that we're going to read today had real-time meaning for the original readers, and they have current application to us as we strive to live in these last days according to God's call to us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. So we're going to do something a little unusual. We are going to begin by looking at the Apostles' Creed. Now, this is the received version of the creed, which can be traced all the way back to the early church as early as the second or third century. Now, I know that some of you grew up with this, and it may bring up, it, it may seem more like a rote thing. You, maybe you had it in school or church, and it was recited regularly. Maybe you had to memorize it. It might be old-sounding to you. It might seem like it doesn't have relevance. But in these last days, I want to encourage us to reinforce our understanding. What does it mean to say, I am a Christian? As I've been studying the book of Revelation, I keep thinking about this. And so that I just want us to read it together today. So I have it available for us on a slide. And we're going to just read out the Apostles' Creed together. All right? Are you ready? I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, this creed is helpful and succinct in describing the Christian's faith. It reminds us of Jesus' life, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection, and his promise to come again, and the hope of our own resurrection. These have been the things that Christians believe and agree upon through the centuries of these last days. 
Before we read the oracles in Revelation, we are going to read a passage from Acts. The apostles' teaching is bedrock to the formation of the early church, and it provides transformative power for us today as we grow in transforming community. And Susan, I can't tell you how encouraging and, and meaningful it is when you say what a difference your time in this church has made in your relationship with God. That is really what it's all about. That is the point of why we are here, that while you are a part of this church, you are being transformed in your relationship with God. But as we are doing that, we have this solid foundation that holds us. The world we live in, your daily interactions, the stuff you're going to face tomorrow at work, at school, in the marketplace, it can be confusing and challenging to your faith, and we need solid teaching that helps us get through that. So here we're going to read a few verses in Acts 15. This is telling about a severe challenge to the early church and the powerful resolution to that challenge. So the gospel was reaching beyond the Jews, and many Gentiles were coming to faith in Jesus. Well, some Jews began going out, and they began saying, telling all the Gentile churches that they must be circumcised and follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. Now, this was quite disconcerting, and it caused no small controversy. So a council was held in Jerusalem to wrestle with this problem. So I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. This is part of Peter's speech to the council. Acts 15, verse 8. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God? By burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Do you hear that vital and steadfast proclamation? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. That is foundational, friends. Don't let anyone add to that some other thing you have to do to be saved. We are saved through faith by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus, and that's it. So the council made the decision, and then they sent a letter out to the Gentile churches. And I'm going to read just two verses from that letter. Verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. That word requirements is also can be translated as essentials. You must abstain, verse 29, you must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. 
Now, no, they did not say that these issues are how to be saved. This was not about legalism. In fact, it was in response to those trying to impose legalism. And it is a rejection of legalism, but they did say that these are essential for the people of God. We are to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, and these two main things, abstain from food offered to idols, and by extension, idolatry, and abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, these impact our body, eating and sex. Your body matters. What you do with your body matters. One reason I wanted to share the Apostles' Creed today is that scholars note that it was developed to help believers stand strong against the heresy of Gnosticism. Gnostics taught that the body and the soul are separate and that the material body is evil while the spiritual soul is good. They made this separation, and they denied the incarnation of Christ because they could not accept that our holy God would take on flesh. There are elements of Gnosticism still alive today. We are called to a fully integrated life in Christ, body, soul, and spirit. We cannot disregard that the material world and our bodies are a part of God's creation. So part of that escapist mentality that I was mentioning earlier, it can veer into a Gnostic approach about our bodies and God's creation. It can suggest that these things just aren't important. That is not the truth that we find in Scripture. So we're finally getting there to the book of Revelation. We're going to read, reread last week's oracle to Pergamum and then the final one in chapter 2 to Thyatira. And we're going to receive a blessing because we learned that the book of Revelation was created for corporate worship and there's a blessing for the one that gets to read it out loud and there's a blessing for the ones that hear it. So are you ready? Let's go. Revelation 2. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Report, repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit, and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name 
that no one understands except the one who receives it. The message to the church in Thyatira, verse 18. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Whew, I'd like to just stop right there. How about you? But, verse 20, I have this complaint against you. You're permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from their evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths, as they call them, depths of Satan, actually, I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. All right, friends, I've got a few more things to say on this. Are you with me for a few more minutes? Can we finish this out? Let's do it. Both Pergamum and Thyatira received similar complaints in their messages from Christ that they were allowing a false teaching that promoted sexual immorality and eating food offered to idols. Different actors, but the same script. And he calls them to repent. Remember, in the last days, it's the days of opportunity to repent. So be happy if you're hearing this and you're feeling called to repent. You can do it. He gives a strong warning, though, to those who will not repent. We cannot shrug off the essential nature of these sins. They involve our bodies and they matter to God. We are not required to have the sign of circumcision in our bodies in order to be saved. But our bodies do matter. The very two things that the Council of Jerusalem defined as essential. You don't have to do anything else but these two things. 
Avoid eating food offered to idols. Avoid sexual immorality. This is the very thing these false teachers were leading these churches into. Why? Why was this teaching gaining ground in the churches? Well, one reason is their desire to accommodate the surrounding culture. This was a way of disintegrating their faith and life to separate worship of God, I do that on Sunday, and getting along with the world, separating worship of God in spirit and getting along with the world in body. It is a false religion, and Jesus says, repent. Now, here's an interesting note. Uh, You may remember that the church of Ephesus is commended for their good teaching, but they were censured for having lost their first love. The church at Thyatira is commended for their love, And Jesus even says how much they are continuing to improve in it. And yet they are censured for this false teaching. We have got to strive for both commendations. (laughs) We have to have good teaching. And we need to be continually growing and improving in love. But listen, Jesus says in verse 24 that he has a message for the rest of you. In Thyatira, not everyone in this church had followed the false teaching. Now, just that fact, I want to think about that a minute, is painful. Here is a church that Jesus had commended for their love, their faith, their service, their patient endurance. You get a sense of community there. And yet there is a split in the church. Some some are now moving into a false teaching. These were a loving people, and I believe they felt that split. And it was not easy to endure. It was painful. It was confusing. It was heartbreaking. I know that some of you, some of us, may be facing a split. Not in our church, I'm not saying that, but maybe with some of your friends, maybe with fellow Christians, family members, and it's painful. You love each other, and yet you are facing division. Now, I'm not saying that those kinds of things we're facing right now are based on false teaching. They might be, but... It is a real thing, and I want to acknowledge that these divisions are happening, and they are painful. And this reality is one of the things we lament during these difficult days. What did Jesus say to those that did not follow the false teaching? He said, I will ask nothing more of you. I just want you to meditate on that phrase because I think sometimes we approach our relationship with God as though I can't measure up. I can't keep up. I can't 
get to the point where God would finally be pleased with me. I have to do, 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 something like that. That, that is not from God. We are called to pay attention and avoid the sins that God has called us to avoid. Absolutely. And if that's a struggle in your life, I want you to know there is hope in the name of the Lord. There is hope. There is repentance. But then he says, I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. Well, what did they have? They had love, faith, service, patient endurance. It sounds a whole lot to me like saying, hold on to these things which remain, faith, hope, and love. <laughs> they had held on to the essentials. They did not follow the false teaching. They were living an integrated faith that included their bodies. Oh, there's a lot to learn, and, and we're winding down to the end here. There, there is a lot to learn and understand about idolatry, about the customs of the time that Revelation was written that involved rituals and pagan temple worship and that kind of stuff, the historic norms of the sexual ethics and morality that Christians have received from the time of the apostles' teaching. But for today, I just want you to accept this truth. God loves you, and he loves all of you. <laughs> he created you, body, soul, and spirit, and his, our salvation is integrated in all three, body, soul, and spirit. There is not some deeper spiritual thing out there to go find that would lead you away from this reality. We live in the last days, and difficulties will persist. My friend and former boss, Ken Bertram, he used to say it this way, there are really only two days that matter, today and that day. <laughs> Speaking of that day means that final day, that singular day, the day of the Lord that will mark the end of these last days, and that we must live in the light of that promise and take advantage of every opportunity today that is before us to bring hope to our world. There is hope in the name of the Lord. And that hope strengthens us and helps us to continue to proclaim the good news that our world so desperately needs. I want and hope that today's service from the very beginning of the worship has been a place where you can see how even in the middle of really difficult times, the truth of the gospel shines forth. The reality that, yes, we can depend on our faithful Jesus through it all. And all he asks for us to do is to just keep on holding on. We do not have to figure it all out. We do not have to have all the solutions. We have to hold on to him in faith, in love, 
in service, in patient endurance. We can do this, church, in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the lift I feel in this moment that you are going to carry your people through to the end. Yes, there are difficult times. Yes, there is pain and suffering and division, and it's not easy. And yet, we have the hope of you in our heart that is buoyant for us and is helping carry us through. I pray that if there are sins of the body, things we eat, things we ingest, sexual immorality, if there are issues that people need to repent of, I pray that you will draw them into that by your love. It's your kindness that has led us to repentance, O oh Lord. We repent of sin in our body because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit and we want to honor you. I pray that you would help us have good teaching here and that we would stay strong in love and not lose our first love. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Today is the day of salvation. And if you want to receive that salvation in your heart, I just want you to say, it's, the scripture says, the, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just call on his name today and you shall be saved. We want to accept Jesus' lordship over every aspect of our life. Father, help us to hold on tightly to what you have given us and to do what Jesus asks of us. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Thank you for hanging in here with me a little past time today. I love you. I know that God is with us and he's going to carry us. Let's not give up on meeting together. Let's participate in some of these other midweek opportunities that are coming up to help us stay strong in our faith. And let's see what the Lord is going to do through us. In the name of the Lord, amen. If you enjoyed today's message, why not share it with a friend? I invite you to subscribe at Apple Podcast and our YouTube channel. We'd love to hear your feedback and comments. So glad that you were with us today. Look forward to seeing you next week. At Vienna Assembly of God, we love God, others, and life. And we're leading our community in a growing relationship with God.